listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, it has been 18 months since we did an episode titled Our Seven Greatest Mistakes and, or I guess our seven biggest mistakes. And at the time, the idea was just to sort of be vulnerable and, and tell some of our our greatest foibles, our, our greatest blunders, either in our careers or in marketing. And that actually turned out to be one of our more listened to episodes. And so we've decided to bring it back, kind of an 18-month recap and look at it again and say, well, what, you know, maybe what other mistakes didn't make it into the episode? Because I'm sure we have more than the seven that we shared. And then also kind of a reflection moment to say, well, have we made any progress on those? Like, like I mean, if those were mistakes we've made in the past, have we done anything to, 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 to not make them again, especially if there are mistakes that are recurring mistakes? So that's our goal for today. We're, we're going to rip this thing back open again, rip the Band-Aid off. Oh, that pains me to hear. The Band-Aid? <laughs> no, all of it. All of it. Well, it's important to learn from others' mistakes. That's for sure. And my list is continuing to grow. So let's jump into this wonderful. It doesn't it say something about human nature that this was one of our most listened to episodes. Well, you know, there's a reason that clickbait works, right? There's a reason that everyone leads with negative headlines, I suppose. So, all right, you want to go first, you want me to go first. Where do you want to start? Oh, hey, 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 what? That this was not designed to be clickbait. This I never said it was. To be helpful. And I think I'm going to suspect or guess that our listeners think that we know something, even though you bloviate all the time. And it relates to one of my mistakes when we get to it. But I think people like to see that people who have some level of success, you know, didn't have that nice smooth (laughs) trajectory always getting there. And it's nice to know that there's other human beings in the world, you know? Yes, I totally agree. And I wasn't implying that this is a clickbait content. What I was implying was that that negative side of a headline tends to draw more attention than the positive side quite frequently. So there's a reason that people are drawn into hearing about failure and mistake is because it's part of human nature, right? That's right. If it bleeds, Uh, it leads. There you go. There you go. Yikes. What a horrible phrase that is, isn't it? Okay. So jumping in here, you want to be the first or you want me to be the first? Where do you want to go here? I always want you to be first. Everybody knows that by now. All right. So here's where I'm going to start. I'm actually going to start with a mistake that I shared last time we did this (laughs) because I think I still make it. (laughs) <laughs> and when we talked about it last time, I talked about this idea of being overly prudent, which was the wrong word because of the way you always describe the word prudence. But just this idea that I, I, I historically, I look back on my career and I say this all the time, that there are times I'm just overly cautious. I look for perfect information to make a decision. And as a result, sometimes I miss, uh, I miss opportunities. And I, and I raise it up as something that I still fully acknowledge that I can get better at. And and it's a reflection over the last 18 months through this, you know, I guess not 18 months, but the last, what, 15 months through this pandemic where, you know, recognizing that this was a very interesting moment in time and that there were opportunities in many places. And I probably only didn't go after as many as I I could have. And I talk about that both, you know, business-wise and personally. 
personally, you know, on the investment side, just, you know, recognizing what was going on in the markets and, and maybe not moving as aggressively as I should have. So one of the things I, I am still working on is how do I get better at that? How do I get better at not overanalyzing a situation and in getting stuck in decision paralysis and moving forward? So one of the things I'm trying to do is just be more aggressive, I guess, but also more do more test and experimentation, you know, refine more and just, just try something small, take a first step, see what it does and then, and then move and do more of that in our business than, than I had historically. So that's my suggested remedy. Well, I, I like that you led with a uh, repeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it, as human beings, we do tend to fall into making the same mistakes for any number of reasons, but I think we make these mistakes, and I'm using air quotes right now, generally because of our our personalities, right? We approach a similar situation the same way our personality approaches a situation. And I don't know if your approach to these situations are driven by perfectionism, right? Hey, I got to get it perfect. You know, I want to be right. Or... Fear, you know, what, I don't know what would happen if I failed or if I failed, you know, you kind of think the worst thing, you know, I've wasted this money, I've wasted this time or whatever. But I think it's important to understand why we keep falling back into those mistakes because I know that I do the exact same thing. Maybe not as often or when I do, I recognize that I'm falling into those mistakes more quickly. Yeah. And maybe that's the gift of maturity, right? As, as eventually you start to recognize, wait a minute, I've played this out before. So how am I going to do this differently this time? And I was overly extreme in talking about some of the things that we did or did not do in the in the last 15 months, both kind of, you know, me as an individual and as a business, because we did really lean into that moment. In fact, I had this really nice call. It was funny. I, as you know, I ran a lot of webinars in the early stages of the pandemic last year, and I just viewed it as I'm going to step into the void and provide a voice of reason for marketers in this time to help them think through and, and firm leaders what they should be doing. And I had a call with a woman one day, just like about a month ago, and she just told me, she's like, Jason, you were like a lifeline for me in that window of time. When I was like completely reeling, it's like I looked forward to those webinars because you basically presented just this, this endless abundance of optimism about really what could happen and what, and you were in complete control. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that, you know, that's a significant improvement over where I was in the last crisis, you know, financial crisis when I didn't know what to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in hindsight, I, I worked through that much, much better than, than I have previous crises like these. But I also look back and say, wait a minute, there, there are things that I, that I didn't do that I knew I should. And that was my regret is that as like a, I, there were things I knew I should be doing and I just wasn't fully confident to do them, even though my everything inside me told me they were the right thing to do. And that's where the, the, you know, the recognition is that I haven't fully overcome that mistake, I guess. Um, well, having not gone through the, the financial crisis of, of 2008 with you, but having gone through this one with you, and having many discussions with you as we we went through this, my sense is you were very prudent, not overly prudent. You were constantly re-examining your business in the context of where you are in your life 
and what you want and, and don't want. And I was impressed with how you managed through it. So thanks. I appreciate that. It's, it's always reaffirming to hear because you know, you, you know, you're, you look back and you think, boy, that was such a chaotic period. And you know, you don't, there's times you, you, you forget moments inside of it, but all right. Let's hear, from, let's hear one from the other side here. Okay. Well, this one is going to be kind of related to yours. It wasn't on my first list, but I think it's one of those things that's kind of, a, as I mentioned earlier, kind of core of my, my personality from a career standpoint. And I got this great advice early in my career and I didn't heed it. And it was this, that you should never leave something, a position, a company but that you should go to something, right? So you don't just leave a position. You find or call your shot and then you go to it. And I think one of my big regrets and mistakes that I make was leaving a great firm and a great position and not going to something, but choosing something to get out of that position for other reasons, I remember being at this firm, great firm, great people, but the boss that I had that I just did not like, we were like oil and water and try as I may to manage up. We just did not get along, but I loved that firm and everybody else in it. And something came along, a recruiting opportunity, and I'm like, I've had it. I'm moving on. And I look back on it, I was like, man, that was not a smart decision. And as I look at it, I, I realize that I have this personality that, and this is going to kind of use psychological terms, where I react to catalysts like that, either in a phobic or a counterphobic way. And by phobic, you tend to withdraw from a situation. And counterphobic, you tend to attack a given situation. And I think in that situation, I think the healthy approach would have been something in between, but I definitely fell into this like phobic, you know, I'm withdrawing and the withdrawing look like I'm going to just go somewhere else. And I have to, I have to constantly be on top of that type of behavior for me because it does lead to, I think some bad decisions and regrets and mistaken choices. Yeah, I really like what you said at the opening of that sequence about this idea of if you're going to leave something, you're not leaving something, you're going to something else. And I think for everyone listening, like that to me is really fabulous managerial advice to give any direct report, right? It kind of goes back to something that you said to me in one of these episodes in the very early stages about managing people where you said really one of the conversations you want to have with your people is you know, people are going, you're, you're going to get recruited. And, and the first conversation I want you to have is with me. And we'll look at this opportunity together and say, is, is it the right opportunity for you? And I'll help you make that choice. And if it is, I'll help you move along and we'll, we'll manage it accordingly. And I, I just think that's such wonderful management wisdom and advice to give someone that the two go hand in hand. I think in terms of applying that mistake for listeners, that's the way I'd apply it is, is like, that's such great advice. And it's great career advice at the retirement stage too, right? Like, you know, you, if you're not happy in your job and you want to retire, you're, you, you better know what you're going to do next. Mm. You better be retiring to something, not away from something. And so that's really, really good advice. 
You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. All right. So my next one is not really a mistake as much as it is a reflection, I guess, but I'm framing it as a mistake because in hindsight, now that I understand it, it's like, oh, what a missed opportunity. Most of it is, is learnings I've had through the pandemic. I guess one of the things that I've found really wonderful about the pandemic, if there's something wonderful about a pandemic, is that the learning has been rapid and massive for me on a lot of dimensions of the business related to just some of the clients we've been able to you know, attract and start working with and just kind of the laser focus that the moment put on a lot of different things. But this one for me is I just, I realized I haven't been purposeful enough about growth and value creation inside of Rattleback, inside of our business, and more particularly the latter. And what I mean by that is I haven't been objective about the business as objective as I should be looking at it from the outside in and saying, well, if Jason wasn't here, what does this business have? What are its assets? What are its liabilities? And what would someone who was going to buy it or someone who was looking at it from the outside think of this business? And using that more as a lever for how you grow something beyond yourself, the recognition that a business is a living, growing thing more so than the the owner. And so one of my goals going forward is just to be more purposeful about that, be purposeful about the types of growth that we pursue and what that means to the value of the business as an asset. So that's one of my go forward plans, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Why do you think that you weren't thinking in those terms? I think there's two reasons. One is that business for me, especially early, was always highly personal, right? It was very much, you know, the the work that I did was an extension of me. And so much of the journey to position the agency around professional services marketing and grow it vertically and grow it nationally and beyond was around elevating me as a thought leader. Not necessarily that was the plan, but that was essentially the effect, right? And so I think that's sort of like layer number one is that business, you know, felt so personally tied to me. And then layer number two was just lack of knowledge, you know, lack of understanding of, you know, when you step back and think about a business as, as an asset or as, as a objectively, and you think about what's valuable to someone else, you suddenly have a different lens by which you look at what's important and what's not. And so it was just, I didn't have that layer of insight yet, I guess. There's that old saying, I'll repeat it real quick. There's that old saying people will always say to you, well, you know, build a business like you're going to sell it in five years and, and you'll be better for it. And the, and the idea is essentially that you know, it brings more managerial discipline. But for every time you hear someone say that, no one ever explains what that actually means. <laughs> you know, what, what, what is it actually, what's underneath that? And what, once you actually get what's underneath that, you suddenly realize it's not what you thought it was. And that was sort of my insight in the last, 15 months and it changed the way I look at the business. Yeah. Oftentimes entrepreneurs own a job instead of a business. Yep. Right. And and that's what that really comes down to. I own a job that I'm in control of, but it's not really a business, although it has a wrapper around it that makes it seem like a business. <laughs> yep. Yep. But that's You're the difference. hundred yeah. percent right. Yeah. Boy, we're on a roll. 
Yep. Okay. So my, my next one, and I think this, this is one that applies to, I'm going to say everyone. Will I be so bold to say that? But in my mind, something particularly common in the professional services world, that's the mistake of letting imposter syndrome limit me. And if you've been in professional services for any amount of time, you'll understand imposter syndrome and that feeling when you're sharing a point of view on a particular issue or getting ready to present to a group of people or you know in a sales meeting where you're asking for a, a big fee number, you're like, oh my gosh, what if all of a sudden people actually see that I'm not as good as they think I am. And if if you don't manage that, I think that it leads to a very limiting self-perception because you don't allow yourself to be great. You don't share your point of view as robustly or perhaps as frequently as you should. And I know that in my career, whether that's in a leadership team meeting or it's in a sales meeting or it's even presenting, um, like I said, yeah, I may kind of hold back or not share what my real thoughts are based on my experience or avoid a situation altogether out of fear. So I try to recognize when imposter syndrome is creeping into my mind and attacking it like a white blood cell. I think it's wonderful. It's a great, and it's interesting because I, I did a podcast for someone else this last week, asked me to be on his podcast. And he asked me why consultants and subject matter experts struggle with content development. And I actually said that was one of the reasons was they're, they're, they're afraid to express themselves because they're afraid of imposter syndrome. I didn't use those words, but, and the second thing is I, I, I can't reference this data correctly, but there was a study done around selling and the, basically that the question was, what was the, the most influential indicator of a sales price in a B2B selling situation? So, you know, the deals that, that were sold at the highest price points what was the number one thing that drove that price? You want to take a guess at what it was? I have no idea. <laughs> it's, it's confidence of the seller. And so at the oh. end of the day, that imposter syndrome, when it leaks in, it's not only doing all the damage you described, it's potentially destroying profitability. You will underprice things systematically if you don't really believe that you have the value that you have. Um, I see that wholeheartedly. I'm going to give another one. We're running short on time already, which is crazy. We've only made it through four. Last time we did seven. We're getting slower over time. This is bad. <laughs> so, we're, <laughs> Okay. So this one is actually interesting to me. And it's one, again, it's, it's learnings through the pandemic. I have had just the, the fortuitous opportunity to work with a guy by the name of Dave Patnayak over the last sort of four or five months. He's the CEO of a firm called Jump Associates, a strategy consulting firm in Silicon Valley. And he is just such a brilliant thinker, and I've enjoyed working with him so much. And he opened my eyes to this, this really simple concept. And the concept is that essentially 84% of us are hardwired to be either present-focused or past-focused. So we look at the world and say that the world was better the way it was 
you know, 10, 20 years ago, or it's never going to change from the way it is right now. So my mistake is recognizing that I think I have pockets when I am pretty future focused. I have a pretty good vision of what's going on and what is going, what I think is going to happen, but I'm not as much as I need to be. And, and, and one of my goals kind of going forward is, is to really reshape the way I look at the world and the way I think about the world to be more future focused because really it's the critical lever of, of success in any event, any business venture is having some sense of the potential scenarios that could play out as you look ahead and then leaning into, you know, one or a few of them in some, in some way. So it's been a pleasure getting to know him and his thinking on this is really cool. And as you know, as it comes into the marketplace, I'll share more of it. I like that. And it's ironic that to some degree <laughs> we're looking at the past here. Yeah. But in in describing his thinking, the learning from the past is really, or the reflection on the past is the inflection point towards the future, which was, is, if I understand what you just said, about possibility, right? So based on what we've learned from the past in the context of where we are with this reflection and learning what are the possibilities for the future? And it's, it's almost, and you said we tend to focus on one or the other. That means we have a primary view, but you need both views. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've always said that, you know, you have to understand the past in order to, to live in the future, right? And, and I've, I've been a big proponent of, of history. I'm a big, avid reader of history. But I've, in this journey, kind of working with him, I've come to this realization that I've probably overweighted that a little bit in my life, just, you know, because I am so fascinated with history and understanding what happened. And But then when you step back and you think about business in the business world, you really got to be thinking about what's going to happen because what happened is sort of irrelevant. I mean, it's already over. So let's focus on what we think might happen and build strategies against that. And that's a totally different way of looking at things, really. And he, you know, he's a brilliant thinker. I'll, I'll say this about him. I mean, he's an absolutely brilliant thinker, you know, and so it's been a pleasure kind of pulling back the layers of the onion on, on this point of view that he has and bringing, helping him bring it to, to life. Well, can we put a link in the show notes to his stuff? We will. We will. All right. So the time cop, I know this is the last one. Better be good. It is a good one. All mine are good. Or all mine are bad. I'm not sure. Having a win or lose mentality mm. when it comes to relationships. And this is, I think, something that's born out of immaturity, but also born out of competitiveness. I think I've always been kind of competitive personality, you know, that sports personality. There's a winner and there's a loser. And, you know, from being a, a buyer in my family's auto parts business, you know, to being a, a marketing director or marketing leader, that mentality never served me well, or at least it didn't long-term. It might've given me an outcome and a satisfaction in the short term, but I don't, I don't think it ever paid dividends long-term because it does so much damage to relationship when you have a win-lose mentality. I guess that's why Covey said, you know, win-win, think win-win. But man, 
That's another one of those mistakes that I repeated way too much. I had to be right. And even to this day, I think sometimes I I still do that, but it's it's been easier for me to walk away from those be right or win at all costs type of negotiations than it was in the past. But I have to be constantly vigilant in my relationships to know if I am doing that. And when I do, I try to back off as as quickly as possible and admit to in the relationship that, ooh, I think I was just trying to win it all costs there. I don't know why, but I'm sorry. And can we start again? So yeah, win, lose mentality. You know, as someone who's wrong as frequently as you are, it must be really hard to have that mentality. <laughs> no, we, you know, it's funny because we talked about something in the last time we did this and we talked about there being a third path. And I actually think that that's really the essence of this, right? Is that, you know, there's, you know, the win-win is, is the third path, right? It's like, wait a minute, there's another way. I don't have to win. You know, it's not, it's not a push-pull here. There, there's a way for us both to get what we want. And I think it's a great one actually to end on because so much of business, so much of marketing, so much of, of everything that you do as a firm leader, as a marketing leader does come back to how do you do something that enables everyone around you to, to win, right? Whether it's partners you're working with, uh, suppliers you're working with. And I, when I said partners, I meant external partners, but managing partners, right? Looking for ways for it to benefit everyone involved. And so. you know what's at the heart of that, Jason? It gets back to your last mistake I think it kind of related to it is, do you look at the world from a scarcity perspective or an abundance perspective? And the first half of my life, I definitely had a scarcity perspective. In my second half of my life, I've tried to, to take on that more abundant perspective. I can't say that I'm perfect in that, but that, that is really what it comes down to. Yeah, I really like that that thought process around scarcity and abundance, and I totally agree with you. And I actually wonder if there's, you know, in some ways, I wonder if whole geographies have certain cultures. I felt for a while that, you know, we're both Midwesterners at heart. I mean, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I look around Ohio and the, and the business culture of Ohio, and it does feel like a much more scarcity mindset there relative to things you see in other places when I've done business on the coasts or in Utah in particular is a place I've always commented. Every time I do business with a company in Utah, there's just an incredible abundance perspective in in the water in Utah. And I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I wonder if that if that roots from place. But because I, I, I share a similar a similar makeup that I think I've tried to, to struggle through is, is get from scarcity mindset to abundance mindset. And it's not easy to do but I actually think it's hundred percent critical and I love that you shared it and it's a great one to close on. So, all right, man. Well, that was, that was, you know, as usual, you know, a little painful to share the things that we're getting wrong or the things we're trying to get better at, but always cathartic and helpful. And hopefully listeners, you know, can find the same challenges inside their own firms, inside their own experiences and use kind of uh, some of our suggestions to, to get better in those areas as well. So makes a big difference. Cool. See ya. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.